So my name's Julie Sampson and um, I'm looking very much forward to sharing a message with you this morning. Um, and when I was putting this together, you know, I always know, you know, a couple of months in advance, you know, you're on the, the roster and, you know, and I, I don't know how Bruce does a message every week. How on earth does he do that? I have something that sits there and brews for a couple of months. But it's amazing how even what's happened in the last couple of days in our society, how this message, I think, has a lot of import for this morning. And I did not anticipate that it would be um, meaning what it is today. So um, I actually would like to start today with, I'm just going to do a little something with the band just to illustrate something. Um, because my message today is live within boundaries, look beyond limitations. Live within boundaries, look beyond limitations. And I want to start with a little demo because I'm a muso myself and I know that I'm, I'm also a mathematician. And in both of those areas, people would often say to me, oh, you're so good at maths, you're so talented. Or at a musician and just, oh, you're amazing on the piano. You know, how do you do that? And it's like, you know, they think that something just went pop into me and I'm suddenly an amazing musician. And it is so not like that. And I am not good at maths because God went pop, you're good at maths. I know how hard I worked at school to be good at mathematics, how hard I studied for tests, how hard I studied to learn those rules. So you can, go, sorry guys, you can sit down. You don't have to stand up the whole sermon. <laughs> so I just want to illustrate a couple of things with the team. So we can have the team can stop. And I just want Murray on keys. And Murray, can you go to a keys, no, to a piano sound, please? All right, and um, those of, who's a musician here of some kind? You know, you even if it was like you did one year of piano, okay? So, and come on, guys, where's your hands up? Come on. So, <laughs> oh, oh, no, we love you, Shane. <laughs> so, so when you start learning piano, some poor piano teacher somewhere has to listen to you learn some basics. And one of the first things you learn are scales. So Murray, would you like to play a nice C major scale for me? And he even got it right. Very good. <laughs> and then, so you would learn to practice that and you'd probably play it as slow as that and probably get mistakes along the way. That one actually is the easy one because it only uses all the white keys on the piano. Uh, when you go to other ones, you have to start using the black ones. So could we perhaps have a, uh, let's go to something a little trickier, maybe an A major. Has a few black ones in it. Thank you, Murray. That's lovely. So, but then once you've mastered all of the major scales, then you go to a minor scale. So let's perhaps do the A minor scale. Very lovely. Yes. 
but you you spend spend hours practicing those things, and you go from one level to the next level to the next level. Um, do you know your broken chords, your arpeggios? Right, could you just choose one of those? Perhaps do a couple of couple of octaves. Minor one. And do you know any others? <laughs> I know I don't know the names of the other ones, but I remember there were five arpeggios that my teacher used to get me to do. And I, I, you'd do up and down with all five, and then you'd go to the next thing and go up and down. And I would spend hours just going up and down the piano, learning these things. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of the things was that that was building into me some basics that I needed to know as a musician. Let's go. Now, I was going to pick on Shane, but he's actually been living within the boundaries today because you wouldn't have known it, but the skin on his bass drum has just busted. And so you did not know that because he played as he, he's got the skills that he's learnt over a long period of time. But he is a drum, key, he is a drum teacher. I was going to get him to illustrate what you do when you start as a basic drummer. You do not play like Shane when you start out, okay? He is phenomenal. Yes, in really bad time like that. That's, <laughs> that was a beautiful demo, thank you. <laughs> so, and Shane has lived through many hours of that sort of playing, I think, yes. He, and Shane, probably you started... Where's Jen today? Is that where Shane started? Yes. <laughs> On saucepans. <laughs> so, so Shane, we know, is a f phenomenal and a professional musician, but he did not start in that place. He started at that place. Anna, I was talking to Anna before about where singers start. So, Anna, where would you... Step forward. Where would you start as a singer? Well, singing is a bit different because I'm sure she probably had lessons too, though. That's really? kind of the point I'm making, yeah. Um, but I guess the foundations of singing is your breath, because the way that we make noise is by the vibrations of our vocal cords. So when you first start to learn to sing, you actually learn to breathe. And they really write deep into it as opposed to... <laughs> <laughs> you have to learn to breathe and then hold your breath and use your muscles and your body to assist that projection. And then you start to make the sounds and the, the tonality, so the woo, 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 etc., etc. And then you start to work on, um, you build onto that into getting the chords, so making more ee, ee, ee. I'm not going to do that in the microphone. Um, but yeah, there's, there's layers, and you, no one starts doing ee, ee, because it sounds ee, ee, and awful. So, yeah. yeah thank you. Let's thank Anna for her little demo there. <laughs> If you walked into music practice on a Wednesday night, you would find Anna sounding like monkeys and elephants as she's making noises to warm her voice up. But that's part of her training. She knows how, what she has to do to train to do these things. Um, I was also going to pick on you, Seb, if you don't mind, as the bass player. So Seb's one of our new team members, and, but I was listening to your awesome bass playing this morning, but I bet you didn't start there. So as a bass player, what's the first thing you do? Is it simply just blonk, blonk, blonk? Is that the first thing you'd learn? <laughs> so you learn to mimic and you play it, play it badly and then go from there. You start with songs and some of them. 
Yep. Yeah, just playing where notes at the start and then you start playing scales and fucking around. Yep, and then you do something fancy like I saw you do this morning. So give us a nice little sort of bassy bit like you did today. Awesome, thank you. <laughs> um, thank you, team. You can go and have a seat now. Thank you for being my guinea pigs. But as Seb just illustrated, it went from the bump, 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 where a parent would have sat with their bass player child sitting in the, probably out in the shed somewhere, plucking away at some song sounding really bad. But they are the basics of music. And there are lots of things in life where we have to learn the basics before we can go beyond that. And I'm, I want to use that as an illustration of living within the boundaries. And that applies to, it particularly applies to lots of the arts, which is an area where people often just look at the talent and go, hey, they're so talented. But they're not looking at the history of that person, the, the fact that they went to art school or that they, um, they went to university and learned graphic design or that they've, they've done all their years. I've been playing piano since I was seven or eight years old. So this is not something that's magically happened. My parents have listened to years of me plunking away at not very good scales. Um, so to get to that point, to the point where I'm now, and I had to make a shift too in going, I was classically trained when I joined this church and there was a, because I went to a church where I played hymns on the piano and it was very traditional. I had a classical training came into a church that was playing contemporary music. I remember going to the first um, practice. For a start, I had to stand up. I had spent my whole life sitting down at a traditional piano. Suddenly there's a keyboard and even that physical position of standing with your hands in a different position was very different than sitting. So I'd been taught to, you know, put your wrists up and hold like this, which you can't actually do so well when you're standing. I went home and cried after that because I felt like I had... I couldn't play piano anymore because it was so different. Um, but what stood me in good stead were all of those years of what are called broken chords, which was the second thing that Murray um, illustrated, where I'd spent hours practising those things. I didn't really know what that achieved for me playing Mozart or Beethoven, but what it did give me was an amazing foundation for the way that I play now. The way that you play in a contemporary setting using a chord-based structure, that is what you need to know. And I wasn't to know that. So I was learning a basis back then. If I'd been able to see it, I would have been able to see that that would have taken me way beyond the limitations of that into something into the future. And all the things you see our musos do and the amazing job they do up here, all the improvising that do, they do, the, the soft and the loud and the, the, top, the, the shades of music that we get is because they know what to do within those basics to move out of those basics. Do you get the idea? So you have to have that framework. You have to live within those boundaries if you want to then learn to move out of it. So you don't just learn to improvise, you learn the basics. Once you know the rules, then you know how to improvise and move outside of that. And that's the basis of jazz music, for example. So I haven't even got past my first half a page. Okay. Um, so. One of the things, of, so I wanted to talk a lot about how do we work within those boundaries. A couple of other examples, um, as parents, your, a large part of your life is teaching your kids to live within boundaries. They need to know the social norms. They need to know how to be polite. They need to know rules that are going to keep them safe. Don't touch the oven or you're going to burn your hand. 
right? Speak to people nicely, learn your manners, sit at the table and eat your food with knife and fork. Don't just stuff it in your face. Like, they are all things that are courtesies, social norms, boundaries that we all learn. And we, we buck against, uh, the children will buck up against that and we have to discipline them and get them to stay within what are the norms. But once they know that, they can then branch out and be adults. They can be people that can learn to live on their own. They can be independent. But we have to teach them those things. Another example is road rules. Okay, We have to live within the road rules or it would be absolute chaos out there. Okay, And if you've ever driven overseas on the wrong side of the road and realised how much our rules are embedded in us and you suddenly have to be thinking about being on the other side and still obeying the rules, it's really, really hard because when we learn to drive, those things are ingrained into us and they almost become automatically. None of you actually think about going onto the left-hand side of the road when you pull out. You just do it because it's been built in and you now have a framework that enables you to function safely when you drive on the roads. So I want to, just as an illustration, I want to work a little bit with the story of Joseph this morning in Genesis. I probably should have set some Elvanto homework uh, for you to do some pre-reading because um, the story of Joseph takes about 13 chapters of Genesis and that's going to be quite a what. We'll be here for a while if we're going to cover all of that. So I'm going to have to just dip in and out of it and kind of assume that maybe you know some of the story of Joseph. So it's Genesis 37. And I'm not, no way that I'm going to read everything, but I will just kind of summarise some of the story and t- go to a few specific verses. So, let me. The, Joseph was the son of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. He was the 11th son, I think it was. He was the first child to Rachel. So, you'd know, if you know the story of Jacob, he ha- actually had two wives, which was okay then, you were allowed to do that. But he had, Rachel was the preferred of the two wives. And so Joseph was quite favoured by him. He, he loved Joseph because it was the first child of his preferred wife. That made it a bit tricky for Joseph because he's number 11. Number one is usually the honoured son in their culture. That was the way it was. Um, and I'm not sure whether perhaps he didn't help himself. He was only 17 when the story starts in the Bible. Um, but it talks about how he would go out and he'd bring bad reports of his brother back to his father. Well, if you're one of 12 and you're dobbing to dad, that's probably not going to set you up for you know, family harmony. Um, he Also, his father had given him a special coat. Um, it just says that it was, what was the word, ornamented, ornamental coat. We think of it as the coloured, you know, Joseph multicoloured coat. We don't actually know what ornamented meant, but in some, it was some way a special coat that he had that none of other his brothers had. Now, again, he's number 11, and normally that sort of honour would have been given to the, um, the firstborn, the one that was due to inherit. So, again, it's kind of setting him, his father was almost setting him up in a way that, again, set up disharmony in the family. Um, and then Joseph seemed to also have this um, ability to have dreams. So he had a couple of dreams, and it talks about them in um, 37 chap- from chapter 5. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down. 
And he goes on and tells a second dream about um, stars and moons and things. But so obviously the brothers are not impressed because here we've got, you know, young Joseph, the whippersnapper, number 11, who's only 17. So I imagine the other brothers are probably anywhere up to, you know, they could be 35 or something rather, the oldest. And here we've got this young person talking about how you're going to bow down to me. So things were not running well in the family. I'm not sure if he was just an annoying 17-year-old or whether perhaps his father had just set him up in a way that wasn't standing him in good stead. But his brothers didn't like him. Um, he was, Joseph was sent out to find, um, find the brothers one day. They'd gone out to look after the sheep. Joseph hadn't gone. Again, why didn't Joseph go? I don't know. But father said, why don't you go out and check on them? And he went out and they, that they are at this point, full of hate for their brother, to the point that one of them said, why don't we kill him? Why don't we get rid of him? Which is a pretty dramatic thing to be saying in a family, right? To say, I want to kill my brother. So that's the, the way this disharmony had escalated in the family. So he was... Um, but to cut a long story short, rather than killing him, they ended up um, stripping him down, selling him to some merchants that happened to be passing by... Um, and they, they dipped his beautiful coat in some goat's blood and took it back to their dad and spun this whole story about how he'd been um, attacked by an animal. So Jacob's thinking that his, he goes into mourning for his son. Uh, the brothers are pretending he's dead. They're just going good riddance to the you know, smart aleck teenager. We've got rid of him. We can just get on with life. Dad will perhaps you know, favour the rest of us now instead of that person. And Joseph is sold off to... Um, people. So merchants, so in, the story continues on then in chapter 39. The merchants sell Joseph in Egypt and he gets sold to Pot, uh, Potiphar, who is an official to Pharaoh, a captain of the guard. Now, Joseph has gone from being in a secure family. I don't know how wealthy they were, but there was a lot of children and it, though they were married, there was grandchildren, it was a big clan, they had lots of animals. So I'd imagine that they were probably the equivalent of a pretty good middle-class family. Okay, they weren't, they weren't in need. So he would have been in a safe and secure place with a good future ahead of him. He's now a slave. He's now in Egypt. His family have disowned him effectively. Um, I guess the only positive in that whole scenario is that he's actually still alive. That's pretty much the only thing going for him. But he's now in a foreign country, a long way from home, no family. He, as I said, he's a slave. Um, and he's now out of that good life and doesn't know what is, what's ahead of him. But God was looking with him. And I think this is one of the things about this story that I want to emphasise is that God was with Joseph now, I, we don't know all the backstory, but it is clear that Joseph was obedient to his dad. When his dad said, go and look for your brothers, he went to look for his brothers. I don't know whether Joseph had asked him to report on his brothers, so when he brought a re bad report back, he was actually just doing what his dad said. But I have a sense in which he was obedient to his dad and honoured his dad, and in that, probably honoured God. So when he ended up in Egypt, verse 39, um, chapter 2... Sorry, chapter 2, verse 13. Let me get it right. Chapter 2, verse... No. Chapter 39, verse 2. I will flick there. It says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, 
Um, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Pontifar put him in charge of the household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Now, one of the points I want to make is I don't think that happened overnight. I don't think he landed in Egypt at Pontifar's um, house and suddenly went, oh, you're honoured by God. There would have been a season where Joseph would have been a slave, probably outside doing things, but he must have made the decision, and this is me kind of reading into it, but I think there's an element here where he has been obedient to his masters. He's decided, well, I, I, I learned to be obedient to my dad. I don't like this circumstance. It's not where I want to be. And he could have got really angry and cross. He could have bucked against God. But he obviously, I think, decided, well, I'm going to make the best of the circumstances. I'm going to live within the boundaries that I've found myself, which are significantly reduced from where he was. So that somehow he got noticed by Potiphar. Right? He's got lots of slaves. Why would he suddenly notice, notice Joseph? But there must have been something that Joseph was doing that drew his attention. And so he suddenly got called into the household. So instead of living out wherever slaves live, he was now living in the, the household. Then he was put in charge of the household. Now, I'm not, that doesn't sound like something you'd normally do to the average slave. So he obviously was given that honour and he must have brought some skills that meant that he trusted him with that. You're not going to, he must have had good organisational skills. He must have got on well with people. He must have been good at logistics. You know, he must have been kind. There must have been characteristics about Joseph that Pontifar saw that meant that he decided, I'm going to entrust him with this. And Pontifar also saw the honour of God on him as well. There was something different about him that drew his attention and he decided to honour him. And so he was actually given quite an honour there. He was put in charge to the point where Pontifar didn't worry about anything except his food. He pretty much let Joseph run the shop. Right. He, he had full charge of this and he was an official in Egypt. So he was, you know, a middle ranking person of some import and Joseph was running his household for him. Now, unfortunately, so things are looking pretty good and he, he's living within those boundaries. But because he's living within those boundaries and those rules, he's then getting some honour from that. So you could say that he's being able to work outside of those limitations that are within him. But unfortunately, Pontifar's wife thought that he was pretty hot. In fact, it says, where's the scripture? Um, I can't remember the words, but it says he's, oh, here we go. Chapter, so it's verse six. It's the end of chapter six. It says, now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. So he obviously was a pretty attractive man. And Pontifar's wife's decided, hmm, I like this. And, you know, I don't, that probably wasn't the right thing. Um, certainly, Joseph should not be getting involved with his boss's wife. Joseph, though, shows himself to be an honourable person and he does everything he can to try and avoid those uh, temptations that are there and to not get involved with this woman. And this happens over a period of time that she's trying to entice him into a relationship that is not appropriate. And he resists it at every turn and does the honourable thing. But it gets to a point where she kind of traps him one day in a conversation. Um, he again resists her offers. She, she grabs his coat and strips the coat off of him. These damn coats. Joseph and coats don't go well. <laughs> all right. 
So this is the second incident with the coat. So grabs the coat, takes us off of him, and he runs off. But then she cries wolf and, and screams that he was going to attack me and, you know, calls, calls him all sorts of things, draws Pontifar's attention. And obviously he's cross. She's claiming that Joseph is trying to take his wife, which is not the honourable thing to do. So she's telling lies. But he has to do something about it. So next thing, Joseph finds himself in jail because he has gone out, you know... He's done the wrong thing according to his master and wife. But he's, he's innocent. So for the second time in his life, he could be finding himself in a very difficult situation where he's frustrated, he's um, angry. And now this is another injustice. So really, in a, in a sense, it's a second injustice that he's faced in his life. So he's now in a very difficult situation. I guess at this point I want you to think about what situations might you be in where you're feeling like this is not fair. And I think probably some of the things we're finding ourselves having to do at the moment, we could be saying this is not fair. This is unjust. This is ridiculous. You know, why are we having to do this? We can kind of understand from those who are vulnerable maybe while we're doing things, but there are other aspects where we go, this is silly. Why are we having to do this? Um, and there are other circumstances we might have in our lives too. Um, where we feel like things have not gone well. Those emotions are okay. It's okay to feel frustrated. It's okay to feel angry. It was okay for, jo for, for Joseph to feel like this is unjust, is completely normal. It's what we do with those emotions that's really important. Are we going to let them rule over us? Are we going to let the current fear that we're seeing in society, society come into us too? Or are we going to work within what we know and live within those boundaries and do it well? And I think some of that for us as Christians is coming back to some of the teachings we have as Emma was sharing this morning and John was sharing this morning. What are those scriptures that we stand on when things get really tricky? For us, they're like the scales and the broken chords of music. They're the foundations that have been built into our lives. They're the things that are there that are immovable. And once we know what those things are, then we have the capacity to move outside of that. Then we're going to be able to look beyond the limitation of where we are and see the possibilities beyond. Um, personally, at the moment, this is kind of a bit of a first world problem, but I've been planning an overseas trip for 12 months and I'm booked to go on the 22nd of April to France. Well, that's probably not going to happen right at the moment. I think it's fairly unlikely that that trip's going to go. Um, I've booked long service leave with my work, so I've got 10 weeks to travel, but I can't get that back. So I might get my money back on my trip, but I can't get my time back. I still have to take my long service leave. So part of me is like, I do not want to sit at home watering my garden for 10 weeks but I'm going to have to do something for 10 weeks. So there is part of me that is a bit upset at the moment. As I said, first world problem, but I am a bit upset at the moment. Trying to look at what the alternatives are. Um, I was thinking, well, maybe we could at least go to New Zealand. And as you would know, the Prime Minister of New Zealand has just closed New Zealand down, so that's not even on the cards. And I'm thinking, well, maybe we can go into state. I'm not sure that I'm even going to be able to fly anywhere in Australia. So I might be home planting the new lemon tree that I do need to put in my garden. So, But what I could do is just get really angry. But I, what I need to do is put those emotions aside and say, well, what are the possibilities? Okay, let's look beyond this. What opportunities could there be, even though what I had planned 
is not happening. Maybe God's got something different and better for me at this point. I don't, might not be able to see that. Joseph couldn't see those opportunities. Joseph couldn't see that he was going to end up in Pontifus' house. And just to jump ahead a little bit, Joseph did end up in jail for some period of time. It was quite a long time. But during that time, he did give some dreams to a couple of people. And those dreams, remember he gave dreams to his brothers? Okay, they didn't like it, but he had some dreams. While he was in jail, he gave some dreams to a couple of people and they both came to light and they came, became true. One of those people ended up in the Pharaoh's house. And down the track, the Pharaoh had some dreams that he couldn't work out. And the cupbearer, who had been one of the people that Joseph had prayed for, remembered Joseph. So when all the mystics were brought in by the Pharaoh and he said, tell me about my dream. And he explained, he explained this dream to all the mystics and the magicians and the, the, the dream readers of the day. Apparently, dream readers of the day had books they went to. So when you had a dream, they'd go to the book and they'd tell you what that dream meant. And, but when they did that, obviously, it didn't make any sense or they couldn't find the meaning of exactly what Pharaoh had dreamed about. And they're kind of going, oh, not sure what this means. The cupbearer went, I know this guy when I was in jail. He interprets some, some dreams and they came true. So Joseph went from being in jail to being called up by the Pharaoh, essentially the king of the country. So he um, got himself ready. He did the right thing. He, the Bible actually says he had a shave. So it was obviously pretty important that he have a shave in Egyptian culture. But again, he did the right thing. He presented himself appropriately. He came before the Pharaoh. And let me just jump ahead a little bit. Where does... I guess just while I'm talking about him being in jail, it does talk in chapter 9 a lot about how, again, Joseph was honoured. Um, while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him and he showed him kindness and granted him favour in his eyes of the prison warden. And Joseph, again, became like a, a boss in the, the prison. He was given responsibilities and he pretty much ran the prison. So he keeps rising to the top in all of his circumstances because of who he is, what he represents and the God that he he loves. So the dreams come up in chapter 20 and uh, sorry chapter 40 and he's he's forgotten again didn't get the uh, assistance he wanted but the dreams for Pharaoh come up in ver uh, chapter 41 and I'll just jump ahead to verse 15. Don't know how you're going up the top I didn't I gave some scriptures but yeah that's okay. So um Genesis 41, Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he'd had a shave, actually says he had a shave, and changed his clothes, probably a good idea if he's coming out of prison, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So in that moment before the leader of the country, Joseph is again going back to his heritage and honouring the God he knows and recognising that this gift he has for dreams is actually not his gift, it's a gift that God has given him. So again, he's some, somehow through his life, through honouring God, he's developed this gift of interpreting dreams. 
so, so that it's brought into a point now where he can actually move out of his limited circumstances and support Pharaoh. So to cut a long story short, he does interpret the Pharaoh's dreams. Um, it was about the fact that Egypt was going to have seven years of prosperity and then seven years of drought. And um, so Joseph interprets, interprets the dream. And then he recognised, I think this is where Joseph also had wisdom, because then he said, well, Pharaoh, you're going to need to search for a person who can actually help you manage this situation, who's going to be able to manage seven years of prosperity and prepare for seven years of drought. And Pharaoh did a bit of a search, but in the end thought, well, that guy who just interpreted the dreams, he seems pretty wise. He probably did some talking around and found out that actually he's been very good in Pontifar's house, and he'd risen to the top and shown lots of, circum lots of um, leadership in the jail setting, perhaps he's my man. And so Joseph went from being a slave to effectively being the 2IC in Egypt. So he was brought in by Pharaoh, was put in charge of um, all the harvests and just deciding how do we then prepare for these droughts. And so they had all their harvests, they put a lot of it away and stored it. And then in the seven years of drought, they were able to then support all of their own people. And then a lot of people came from other countries, including Israel. And that's where there's part B of the story, which I'm not going to be able to go into today. And you need to go and read the rest of Genesis to find out what happened. I'm not going to give you a spoiler. But there is a sense in which there is a reconciliation between Joseph and his family that happens. There is a happy ending to this story. Um, Hollywood loves this, which is why they've made movies about it. Um, so there is a reconciliation. And that, I think, is because... Joseph, in all of this, has honoured God. When he's been in hard times, if you think back to that, nearly killed by his brothers, went from prosperous family into slavery, sent into a foreign land, not in a good place. But he honoured God and he rose up and he became um, the head of Pontifar's house. Then there's the incident with the wife, okay, back to prison, okay, not in a good place again, but he honours God. God favours him, he does the right thing. He works within the boundaries of that circumstance. It's not much you can do when you're in prison, but let's do the right thing within those. And he rises up and has responsibilities within the prison as a prisoner. Right? Their circumstances are such that he's then called into Pharaoh's presence and he ends up being too icy with Pharaoh. I hope you can see, I guess the point I'm making is that we need to work out how can we live within the circumstances we've got. And I'm wondering today what those boundaries might be for you. Um, another situation I've found myself in over the years is I'm a teacher in a school, but I've also I've taken on leadership as well. And there's been times where I thought, well, it would be good to perhaps try and look for other work, maybe get a promotion somewhere else, look for another opportunity. And you put yourself out there, but then you don't get the job. So that, you know, live within the bound. So then I think, well, I could get really grumpy at the fact that I'm stuck where I am. I actually really love where I work. But I, you could go start going, well, God, you didn't give me the job. Well, stuff you. I'm just going to sit here and do what I have to. Or I can decide, no, okay, that opportunity didn't come up, but I will stay where I am and do the very best where I am. 
I will do the right thing here. I will live with what at the moment feels like boundaries, but then next thing another opportunity comes up, something, you know, an opportunity comes up within my own work circumstance and then I can work beyond that in a different capacity that perhaps I didn't see. So again, we have to think about how do we respond to those times when we suddenly feel like we're trapped. We suddenly feel like we're in restricted boundaries. We can't always be out there. We're not always going to be rising to the top. Joseph had those low times. So my question to you today is, what do you do when those trapped times come, when you feel like you're stuck in a circumstance, when you're living within a boundary? Yes, we can have the emotions that go with that, disappointment, frustration, anger, all of those things. But where do we go to next? And do you have that foundation of God in your life that then can feed into that so that we're feeding scriptures in to um, help ourselves rise out of that circumstance? And if I'm, when I get disappointed and I can't do that, I will draw on those around me. So that's where I'm going to my connect group or my connect leader or to other people that I trust that I know will speak faith into my life and there are several women in this church who speak faith into my life and I know I can go to them when I'm in a bad spot and know that they will encourage me they will remind me what God says they will cut across what my head's saying and what my mouth is saying hang on a minute Julie you need to go to this place and they pull me up and remind me about how I need to refocus myself in those circumstances and that's what we need to do one of the songs we had this morning was about we found our home and I think one of the reasons this is our home is because we have people here that will do that for us, that will speak into our lives. And I'd encourage you during the current circumstances, as far as we can within guidelines, is to continue to meet together. So that we're meeting together as a congregation. We're meeting together with our connect group. If we can't physically meet together, we are meeting together in a, on social media or something. That we are continuing to get connect and allowing people to feed into our lives. So can you stand up if I could have the band back, please. So I'm wondering today if you've got circumstances where you have been struggling in that place. You're struggling in that zone where I'm feeling frustrated, I'm feeling trapped. What we need to do is shift that feeling trapped to actually I can live positively within these boundaries. It's appropriate to do that and to be positive and to work with what I have because what happens is that that then allows us to have a platform that we can break out of that and look beyond. And I encourage you to look beyond the current limitations and say, well, what can God do beyond that? It's like this message is for me. God's saying, Julie, with this holiday thing, you need to look beyond the, what you hoped for to what is possible. You know, what could those 10 weeks mean? Okay, there might be something very different that comes to light. And so that's why <laughs> I partly think today's message was for me. But I'm sure it's for some of you out there too that are facing um, disappointments maybe or the current circumstances have trapped you in some way. You might be worried about your financial circumstances because of what's currently happening. If somebody's working in the, the travel industry, you'd be really worried about your job at the moment. There'd be other people that might be worried about different things. You might be worried about how am I going to look after my kids if schools are closed. We must not go to those places. We need to trust God in this circumstance. 
Joseph was in some really awful places. You think back to what he did and God allowed him to rise in those circumstances and to be, and that the key was that he honoured God. God's favour was behind him, but on, be, upon him because he honoured him in those circumstances. And that's what we need to do today. So just if everybody could close your eyes. Just wondering today if that is you. And I think sometimes it's good for us to actually just put our hand up and acknowledge, yep, that's me. I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward, but I will pray for people. So if that's you today and you feel like I need to shift my thinking in a circumstance at the moment, I'd just like you to put your hand up. Just give me a quick show of hands today if you're a bit stuck in those circumstances. And we'll pray for you today. Thank you, Lord. Father, you can put your hands down. Thank you, Father. I thank you that you are with us in all circumstances. Father, I thank you for the the story of Joseph in the Bible that is an example of how if we honour you and lift you up, that you will help us to live in those boundaries, Father, and that we can expect that you will have good things for us. We might not be able to see it at the time, but if we're obedient to you, if we trust you, if we shift our thinking, that you can take us into places that we haven't dreamed of. Father, we pray that you, I pray that you'll be with each person here who's struggling in that place at the moment. You, Father, that you'll bring them scriptures. Father, you help them to seek out those around them that can support them at this time. That, Father, they can take on faith and not fear at this time. Thank you, Jesus. Father, give them practical ways to surround themselves with your love at this time. Whatever those circumstances, whether it's family circumstances, employment, Um, whether it's to do with the the sickness that's around at the moment, whether it's to do with other circumstances, whether it's completely different sickness that people are struggling with, whatever broken relationships, whatever those things are, Father, we pray that you are with those people, Father, that they can work out ways to live within those boundaries, but to look beyond, look beyond. Thank you, Jesus. And every Sunday we just want people to think about where they stand with God. So there may be people here today that go, well, yeah, you're talking about honouring a God, Julie, but I'm not sure that I even know that God. That God of Joseph is a God of reconciliation. He reconciled, Joseph was reconciled to his father. And the whole story of Joseph is actually a bit like an analogy of what Jesus did for us too. That Jesus suffered a great deal in his life. But he worked to preach the word of God. He lived in a life that was obedient to God. That life actually brought him undone with being killed by those who didn't believe that was right. But he conquered all by rising again. Father, and that, that salvation is something that we can all have. So if you're somebody here today that hasn't ever kind of connected with God in that way, this is an opportunity where you could connect. So with all eyes closed, just asking if there's anybody today who needs to make that connection with God. Or it may be that you have allowed yourself to become a bit distant from God. Maybe circumstances, you've let some of those frustrations and angers take you to another place and you need to come back to God. You need to remember that you need to honour God or you might not be feeling very secure in your faith. You're thinking, I'm not feeling very faithful at the moment, Lord. I need to have your assurance that you are with me no matter what circumstances I'm in. 
If you're any of those people this morning, we can pray for you. So if you need to come to God for the first time, you've not really ever made that decision or you've drifted away and you need to reconnect with God or you just want a reassurance of your salvation, your faith in God, if you could just quickly put your hand up. Love to pray with you today to reconnect you with God. Is there anybody today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you are with us in all circumstances. Father, we pray that you'll continue to fill us with faith this week as we go out into the world. Father, help us to be the faith-filled and positive person to those around us. Father, help us to, to block off those things that take that faith away so that we can stand strong in whatever circumstances are in the week ahead for us. Father, I pray a blessing on each and every person here. We pray that you'll keep each person safe and healthy and that they'll have a blessed week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.